We'll read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Throughout this epistle, Paul makes an attempt to uh, unify the saints of God at Corinth. We read in Acts 18 how he traveled there and was met with some success and some opposition, but felt it necessary as the Lord uh, seemed to lead that he would remain there a year and a half teaching and uh, preaching the gospel. And he did so. Now he has moved on from there and reports come to him, including uh, questions that this epistle attempts to address and to respond to. But uh, some of what came his way was what I just read, that rather than being unified, they were in a state of division in some cases. And he reminded them through his writings of the fellowship they enjoyed. So we thank God for the gospel that uh, unites us and allows us to uh, worship the Lord in, in unity and in fellowship. It's easy to illustrate uh, division. We think of uh, the fact that there are 195 nations in the world, and most of them are represented in a body in New York called the United Nations. But the question arises, is that body indeed united? We call it the United Nations, but we doubt they are united, especially when it comes to proclamations or addressing the state of Israel. We see division, and we see it in many, many other levels as well. Debbie and I just returned, among other places, from the UK. The UK includes uh, England, Northern Ireland, Ireland uh, uh, to be distinguished from uh, the Republic of Ireland, also uh, Scotland and Wales. It's called the United Kingdom. Is that kingdom united? When there, I asked a few people about Brexit. Is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Well, some of our faith claimed it's a good thing. Some of our faith claims it's not such so good. I asked them about their new prime minister. He seems to be a controversial figure. And much like America, I suppose that 40% approve of him and 40% disapprove of him and the middle 20% are left wondering, perhaps. But the question is, is the United Kingdom united? 
And of course, we have America, the United States of America. Are the states of America united? Well, we, we could debate that, but that might cause division among us. But the point being that calling something united does not make it so. Well, it's easy to illustrate uh, division. It's also easy to, to illustrate uh, unity. Now, unity is not always a good thing. We, we see in the Bible that uh, Pilate and Herod were divided until they had a common enemy. His name was Jesus. And suddenly, Pilate and Herod were in agreement. So that, that illustrates the fact that to be united is not always a, a positive thing. We uh, nevertheless see the positive aspect of uh, unity illustrated in the Godhead. We see it in Genesis where, where God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the triune God, is perfectly united. We see it also in the New Testament with the baptism, uh, water baptism of Jesus, how that he was uh, baptized in water. And the, when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended upon him. And there was a voice from heaven where God spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So we see the unity of the Godhead illustrated there. The Bible also uses marriage as an illustration of unity. We see it in Genesis again. And it's repeated by Jesus and actually Paul in the New Testament. In Genesis, the Lord said, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and they shall, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they twain, Jesus said, shall be one flesh. Husbands and wives are to be one. They are to be in unity. I can illustrate that as well with an account uh, of Debbie and me a few years ago, several years ago now, I guess, uh, we went to Central Oregon and uh, had an idea that we should rent a bicycle built for two. And so uh, we did so. It has two sets of pedals, two seats, uh, two handlebars. And Debbie was reluctant. I've had a lot of good ideas over the years where she has expressed reluctance. But uh, she's a gamer, so she said, whatever, I'll do it. So maybe that's not a gamer. But anyway, uh, she said she would do it. And so uh, we rented it, and we did it for a couple of hours. But we got off to a rough start on the bicycle built for two because when we came around uh, corners, you know how you ride a bicycle, you kind of lean into the corner. But that made her nervous, so I was leaning into the corner, and she was leaning the opposite way. And it was uh, further uh, complicated by the fact that her steering, uh, her handlebars were attached to my seat, uh, which was loose. 
So when she leaned the opposite way that I was leaning, she twisted the handlebars and my seat was going the opposite direction as my head. I said, hun, hun, this, this is not working. She said, well, I'm nervous. We're going we're gonna to crash. Well, we're going to crash if we don't get in, uh, into unity. I didn't use that, that word in that, in that instance, but well, we've ha- we got to be together on this. And so we finally got synchronized and we leaned together the right way and she quit twisting my seat the wrong way. And uh, it was a beautiful day and suddenly we, we were enjoying our ride on a bicycle built for two. But that's, that's unity. It also illustrates division. When we're unified, why, it works. When we're divided, not so much. Well, Paul had a challenge here. As we read in Acts 18, he went into the synagogues and preached the gospel, and some of the Jews responded to the gospel. Some did not. So in each case, we see unity. Those who did not conspired against him in a unified manner and undermined uh, his ministry, or at least made an attempt to do so. So he moved from the synagogue into a house and continued there, as I said, a year and a half, preaching the gospel, uh, which led many Gentiles to respond to it. Well, the Gentiles were uh, from a different background than the Jews. The Jewish customs were uh, very regimented and very uh, strict. And the, the Gentiles were not readily received, typically, by the Jews. And in fact, they weren't to even uh, spend time together. But suddenly the, the gospel brought them all together in, in one place at the same time uh, to worship the same God. And that, that uh, talk about a culture shock. It was a culture shock to uh, both uh, elements of that church. So uh, Paul uh, reminds them, uh, as I said in the text, God is faithful. God is faithful. Uh, By whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This was new to both the Jews and the Gentiles. But they were each learning that God is faithful. And he's called us into this common faith. Well, we're not uh, distinguished by the fact that we're uh, some are Jews and some are Gentiles. Most all of us, perhaps all of us here, are, are Gentiles. But nevertheless, we come from a variety of different backgrounds, different upbringings, different uh, cultures. Even if we're, for the most part, uh, Americans, we, we come from all walks of life. And we uh, step into a, a body of believers, into a, a common faith. But we, we have uh, differences of perspectives just by uh, life experiences. But we are united by a common faith, uh, just as the Jews and the Gentiles were. And so he, uh, this, the same admonition applies to us. In, in, in this case, a word came to him through those of, of the house of Chloe, that there were contentions, there were divisions among, among them. But he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that you, there be no divisions among you, but be perfectly joined together in the same mind and of the same judgment. That's what the gospel does. It unites us. It brings us together. We have a common faith. We have a common goal. We have a common purpose. And uh, we rejoice in that. We can sit together, our different backgrounds notwithstanding, and enjoy uh, serving the God, uh, serving the God of heaven together. Uh, we, we see the unity in the acts of the apostles of the of the Jewish uh, believers. 
at the resurrection or ascension rather of Jesus. He told them to tarry in Jerusalem. And in Acts 1.14, they all continued in one accord. That's unity in prayer, supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And they, by the time the day of Pentecost came, they numbered 120. Not as many as they numbered at the ascension of Jesus, but these 120 were united by the fact that they were obedient to the instructions of Jesus, that they go to Jerusalem and tarry there until they be endued with power from on high. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, we find them all in one accord, in one place. They had one heart. They were in a prayer meeting. And in that united condition, the Holy Ghost descended upon them and they were empowered with service uh, for for the work of God uh, from on high. At the end of that same chapter 2, we see these continuing daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were praising God. That's what, what, we, what unity brings, it is a praise to God. No division. We're not speaking uh, different things amongst ourselves. We are having our, our focus on serving the God of heaven, uh, hoping and praying to see souls saved, and we, we rejoice when we're in that condition. We see it later in the epistles where, where Gentiles were added to the mix, again, from uh, different uh, cultures, a culture shock to both uh, aspects. But uh, Paul addressed that in Ephesians uh, when he spoke of the Gentiles being sometimes were far off, they're made nigh by the blood of Jesus, same as the Jews. And that, that middle uh, wall of partition that had stood between them was broken down uh, by the cross. And in First uh, Corinthians chapter 1 in particular, we see uh, Paul preaching Christ and him crucified. In fact, the, uh, the, the basis of their division, if you will, or contention, was an unhealthy view of their, of their leaders. Where had we continued with the reading, we, you would see that uh, some of you said, I am of Paul, uh, some of them rather, said, I am of Paul, others I of, of Apollos, and others I of Cephas, so they, they seem to pit one against another. But they weren't, uh, these men were not rivals. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, I believe, he says we are laborers together with God. We're not competitors. We're in unity. We have uh, different uh, strengths and certainly uh, weaknesses as well. But... Uh, don't view us as competitors because we are united in our desire to see uh, souls saved. And uh, that, that was the basis of their division, which was really, uh, the root of it was carnality. He says in chapter 3, I had to speak unto you as, as babes because you, you couldn't handle strong meat. I had to feed you with milk because you are yet carnal. With that, of course, uh, carnality will lead to all kinds of uh, problems and must be remedied uh, through, again, the, the blood of uh, Jesus being applied a, a second time to where we are sanctified. 
But their basis of unity was Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In the first ten verses of that first chapter of 1 Corinthians, the name of Jesus is noted ten different times. He preached Jesus. He didn't uh, preach uh, the wisdom of this world, which is foolishness with God. He preached Christ and Him crucified. Uh, So it it is to be today. We We preach Jesus. We, we want to take people back uh, to, the, to the foot of the cross. Jesus is able to bridge every divide, whether it be cultural or generational, whatever it be. We know that the Lord unites us. If he, if he unites Jews and Gentiles, uh, who had such a, a distinction in terms of their uh, cultures, he can certainly and, and does certainly unite uh, each of us as well. The scripture reading r- related uh, to the, the blessing of unity, Psalm 133, where David was inspired to say, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Well, it is good and it is pleasant. Lately in Daybreak and Discovery, we've read uh, some of uh, David's life and see the, the division and the contention uh, with which he uh, operated. He was uh, initially, at least, a man after God's own heart, but he didn't stay that way, and he certainly paid the consequences for uh, the... Uh, sins uh, that he committed, but he could hearken back to where he was in uh, an environment where there was unity, even though he spent a good deal of his time uh, suffering from division within his own family and within the the kingdom itself. But we, we can relate to the fact that uh, while there, and when there was uh, an environment of unity, he described it as as being good and and pleasant. Well, we've all experienced a state of of disharmony at time. It's, it, in his case, it was family, and I suppose that could be uh, spoken of of most families, as far as that goes. Or there's disharmony at times, uh, perhaps in the workplace or amongst peers, um, whatever it is, to where we can see the contrast between harmony and disharmony. Well, Brother Gary deals with it all the time. That's why we have choir and orchestra practices. We, we get the harmony. Uh, we get the beauty of, of the sound after they've ironed out uh, the kinks, though our musicians are practically perfect all the time without practice. They do get together and they practice. So he could speak to this better than me, but we, we at least enjoy the state of harmony and unity that we see from our musicians, not just on Sunday mornings, but every service. Why? Is it good? Is it pleasant? Is it a blessing? Absolutely. That's, that's what unity does in, in every aspect of life. 
So it is when the household of faith uh, comes together. Uh, we thank God. In the UK camp meeting uh, in World Report, if you read it, you saw that we had uh, representation from Belgium, France, uh, Germany, the Republic of Ireland, uh, Kazakhstan, Nigeria, Spain, the different uh, regions of the UK, as well as uh, from America. And we moved on then to Spain and to the Netherlands. But uh, even at Portland Camp Meeting, I think the final count was 24 different uh, countries represented here. We had unity. Well, I talk about differences of cultures and, and backgrounds, but that's all uh, overcome by the blood of Jesus and by the fact that we share a common faith. We have a common purpose, same goals, and we enjoy the blessings of God as a result. It's easy uh, for God to descend in an environment where there's unity. It's like the precious ointment that was poured over Aaron's head. Speaking of when Aaron was consecrated uh, formally to, to uh, be the, the first high priest and his descendants to uh, represent the, the priesthood. So when he was anointed, that oil was poured over his head. And the, the psalmist David referring to that uh, says it ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, and went down to the skirts of his garment. And he describes unity as being like that. Well, it's like that in the sense that that oil was costly. So is unity. It costs us by we setting aside anything that would uh, hinder unity. That oil was also consecrated. And, and so it is with individuals who worship God in a unified manner. We are consecrated. Aaron was set apart and, and dedicated to be the, the high priest. We have not been set apart by others, but we consecrated ourselves and set ourselves apart to be devoted to God. That's what consecration is. We're going to live a life for God, different than the life we lived before, so that uh, when students uh, who are about to um, go to schools, why you have devoted yourself to, to serve God, and you set yourself apart to where I am going to serve God, but if you think peer pressure is challenging, more challenging in the schoolhouse and in the workplace, it's not. It's just simply a good foundation upon which you will build the rest of your life because you will find when you become employed that it's the same element that's needed. You have consecrated yourself to be distinguished as one who is going to live for God. You will not compromise your faith because you want to be unified with others who are of the same spirit. So that ointment was costly and consecrated, and so is uh, unity. That's how it's like that ointment that was poured out on Aaron's head. It emits that ointment did a, a pleasant uh, fragrance uh, to those who were being anointed, but uh, more so in a figurative uh, manner to the God of heaven, as, uh, as it was like uh, the prayers that are... Uh, ascending to God. That's a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord. And uh, I like the idea that the ointment 
uh, flows beyond where it was first poured out. It was poured over his head, but it flowed down over his garments to the skirts of his garment. Uh, so it is with, with unity. It goes beyond where it first existed. If you're unified and the brother or sister by whom you uh, are seated is also unified, that unity spreads throughout where there's a common uh, love for God and a devotion to God. And it's like that unity, it's like the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. That dew descends and it moistens the ground and causes life to spring forth. So unity gives spiritual life to those who enjoy it, those who make the decision to be a participant in it. Unity is not automatic. We must endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. So to endeavor means we must make effort. We must be diligent to protect it, to guard it, that we might be beneficiaries of the blessings that come from it. And that's, that's what happened there, that, that do the descent upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Where there is unity, there is an environment where God commands the blessing. And we benefit by it. And we thank God for it. We're thankful that we can conclude these services with prayer meetings. And as we do so, we make the consecrations. We show ourselves devoted to God, just between us and God. We shut ourselves away. We commune with Him. And as those around us are doing the same thing, there's unity. And there, God commands the blessing. We can expect that this morning. We can expect the Lord to descend among us as we come to the place of prayer, as we kneel in the sanctuary. We, we know that God is near. We know that we are unified. So we can have every confidence to believe that God will meet with us. Let's expect that this morning as we sing this song of invitation. We expect the Lord to meet it with us again.